What do an Italian physicist, an American economics professor, and extraterrestrial life all have in common? Stay with me. I'll explain their connection coming up next. Helping you grow deeper on your spiritual journey. Welcome to The Inner Life with Josh Raymond. Hello and welcome to this Thursday edition of The Inner Life. Glad to have you here with us this hour that we devote to trying to understand how God is working in our lives, leading in our lives, ways that we can grow closer in our relationship with Him. Well, so if you listen to the show regularly, you might have heard me say how much I love science fiction, and I I just kind of... <laughs> go a little bit uh, down the nerd or the geek path when it comes to things that deal with uh, astronomy, outer space, science fiction, all of that. So what does extraterrestrial life have to do with an Italian physicist and an American economics professor? Well, we'll start with the physicist. Enrico Fermi was an Italian physicist. He left Italy in 1938, World War II just, you know, starting there. And he came to the U.S., and he's actually most famous for leading a team at the University of Chicago that created the world's very first nuclear reactor. But he also has another claim to fame, something that's named after him. It's the Fermi Paradox. And if you've never heard of this before, I'll explain it. The Fermi Paradox, it basically states that in the Milky Way galaxy, there are billions of stars that are going to be similar to our own sun. And there's a high probability that some of these stars have Earth-like planets. And many of these stars and planets are much older than the sun, so at least some of them very likely developed intelligent life long ago. Additionally, some of these civilizations may have developed interstellar travel, something that we ourselves were just only beginning to attempt. And since many of those sun-like stars are billions of years older than the sun, well, the Earth should have already been visited by extraterrestrials. However, and this is the paradox, there's no convincing evidence that this has happened yet. There might be things we can point to and say, "Ah, it seems like we might have seen extraterrestrial activity, you know, those are real UFOs, the, the government acknowledged out there, but we don't have concrete proof of alien life having visited us. You know, there's not that incontrovertible proof. So the most natural question, the natural question that comes after all of this is why? Why hasn't this happened yet? And this is where an American economist, Robin Hansen, comes in with his theory called the Great Filter. The Great Filter tries to answer that question of why we haven't encountered aliens visiting Earth as of yet. And the theory posits that life in the universe must be very, very rare, that it's hard to get started and it's even harder for life to continue. And there are all these possible hurdles that life has to overcome to progress. Each of these hurdles is what filters out the long-term survival of life. And the last of these hurdles, the last filter in the great filter, it asks, can an advanced life form make it to another planetary system before it destroys itself? And since we don't have 
extraterrestrials walking openly among us on our planet than the theory of the Great Filter, it arrives at this conclusion that, well, most advanced life must fail at some point. Any other advanced civilization, it must have destroyed itself before it can achieve that interstellar travel. And it's probably not that difficult for us to imagine how a civilization that can grow and be on the cusp of space travel could actually destroy itself. After all, for those of us who are old enough to remember what life was like living during the Cold War, hearing about things like mutually assured destruction, well, at that time we seemed to be living in this world where if those in charge, if they did not exercise control, all it would take, just one hot-headed political leader or military leader, they could start a nuclear war that would mean the annihilation of the majority of humanity. Most everyone could see that if we as nations, as a collective group on our planet, if we didn't exercise control over ourselves, if our disagreements, our opinions, our passions, our pride, if we didn't keep all of these in check, we could easily end most life on Earth. And that wasn't only back in the 70s, the 80s, that, that still, that situation is very real today. Now, while I'm talking about keeping ourselves in check on a global scale, of course, this all has to start with the individual, each person, you with me. Uh, each of us has to exercise control over ourselves in a variety of ways. If we don't exercise that control, then civilization eventually can break down and we could find ourselves living in chaos. We have to use our intellect to make choices. We have to choose to act rightly, to not do the wrong things. But then how do you define what is right or what is wrong? How do we truly know what right and wrong are? Well, this is where we have to turn to our conscience. And then that might raise the question, well, what exactly is our conscience? How can we be sure that we have a well-formed conscience, that it is leading us in the right direction? And then why is it important to regularly do an examination of your conscience? Well, these are some of the things that we want to discuss on The Inner Life today. What is our conscience? How do we make sure it's well-formed? And the importance of doing that examination. Joining us is our spiritual director for the hour, Father Rob Kroll is back with us again. Father Rob is a Jesuit priest. He's the director of spiritual formation at St. Francis de Sales Seminary in Milwaukee. Father, welcome back to the program. Always a delight to have you here on the show. Good to be with you, Josh, and our listeners today. So thanks for having me back. Well, so uh, the the natural starting point here, I, I think most of us have a general idea of what our conscience is. And, you know, we've seen that personified in a number of different ways, you know, especially the, the famous kind of example, Jiminy Cricket, you know, in, in the story of Pinocchio that we all saw in the Disney movie. Uh, let your conscience be your guide. Um, if you watched, you know, old cartoons, Saturday mornings growing up, there'd be the image of the person in a white angelic robe on one shoulder and in a devil kind of costume on the other shoulder trying to tell them, oh, choose right, choose wrong. So we have this kind of idea of what conscience is, but how does the Church define conscience? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, there's a section in our catechism about conscience, and one of the core truths that the catechism stresses 
is that conscience is really a law that God implants in the human heart. And so um, it repeatedly refers to the fact that conscience is actually the voice of God kind of resonating in the depths of our most secret core or our sanctuary. And so as we as we attempt to listen to our conscience, we're really listening for uh, God's very voice. And there is some debate like in the philosophical and theological tradition about whether the conscience is something that is completely innate and natural to us, or at least to what extent it is, and then to what extent it's something that needs to be taught and then learned by a person. And uh, somebody, just for example, uh, St. Thomas Aquinas thought that um, most people anyway know that there are general precepts, you know, that have to be followed, you know, do good and avoid evil. And that's something that is just natural to every person. But then, you know, specific precepts might have to be um, taught and and learned. And that's, uh, you know, we'll talk about how the conscience is formed. But, you know, parents and teachers and moral guides try to help young people, for example, to form their conscience, to learn some of these more specific um, laws and, and commandments. But I would say in general, uh, we, can, we can look at conscience as this innate um, faculty or ability that God has implanted in, in the human person. And, um, and even a person without explicit religious faith still has that ability to, to kind of hear um, you know, the echo of God's voice um, reverberating in their own mind and heart. And, uh, and I think, you know, one of the ways we kind of know that this is universal, or at least quasi-universal, is that once in a while, it's pretty rare, thank God, but once in a while we do come across uh, a true sociopath, we call them. And this is somebody who seemingly, apparently, has no conscience whatsoever and can do very evil deeds without kind of blinking an eye, without feeling any guilt or remorse. Um, and fortunately, those people are very rare. Um, you know, that could be the result of uh, some illness. Um, uh, it is possible, I think, too, for a person over time to dull, if not completely lose their conscience by basically ignoring it and repeatedly, habitually choosing not to follow it. Um, so maybe a person could voluntarily kind of um, uh, blunt their conscience and become, as it were, a sociopath. But fortunately, uh, that's pretty rare, even among people that we might consider not so moral. Uh, well, so if we can talk about a couple of aspects of what you're describing here. First of all, you said that when a person is listening to their conscience, in essence, they really are listening to the voice of God. Mm-hmm. Part of the issue there might be that we have so many other voices that are trying to draw our attention, trying to speak to us and tell us mm-hmm. what they think is right. And so so I, I guess, you know, the big question at that point would be, how do I know if I'm really hearing the voice of God? Yeah. How do I distinguish that that really is God speaking to me and it's not... Um, you know, something that is uh, just of, of 
the culture of the world, you know, kind of the zeitgeist, you know, whatever it might sure. be at that time, or even something more sinister, something demonic that is trying to right. lead me in a wrong way. Yes, and to the extent that that the evil one can appear as an angel of light, you know, that that possibility of being deceived or uh, mistaken is very real. So your your question is a very good one, and I think this moves us into the area a little bit of um, conscience formation because although each of us uh, innately has a conscience and ultimately we're responsible for following our conscience and we can't sort of um, push that off on somebody else or blame somebody else if we make a, mo- a wrong moral choice, that doesn't mean that we um, you know, form our conscience in isolation or that we don't find other outside external helps. And so I think one of the ways that we know that it's God's voice as opposed to just uh, the culture's voice or the evil one's voice is that we would spend time praying. We actually go to prayer and ask God in the silence of our prayer time, maybe maybe in adoration, we ask the Lord to guide us in a particular moral choice that we that we're facing, for example. Or maybe after the fact, I go to prayer and realize that, yeah, you know, that choice I made today or yesterday, that that really wasn't consistent, Lord, with with who you are, and and I and that's why I'm feeling some guilt or some unsettledness. So certainly, prayer, I mean, directly consulting God's help is and, and grace and enlightenment is important. And then also, I think you know, for, we're we're blessed as Catholics to have. Um, a teaching authority. You know, we've had now for 2,000 years um, a whole tradition of moral reasoning, philosophical, theological. We have, um, you know, the divinely guided magisterium of the Church with all of her teachings, safeguarded by the Pope and bishops. So certainly um, um, one of the ways that we can know it's God's voice is He's spoken to us over these last 2,000 years and, and spoken to many holy people and authoritative people, and and we've got a collection, a body of these teachings and these truths that we can consult. So so it involves sometimes doing some homework, too, and looking up particular, um, you know, uh, moral cases or moral teachings. Um, And then I think a third way, too, that we know it's of God and not of some other source is that um, we have the example of all the saints and, and, and even people in our own life now that we would say are holy people. Uh, we have holy friendships with you know, peers of ours. Maybe it's people in the parish, a Bible study group, um, you know, uh, men's group, women's group. Um, so we can also consult people that we know and trust in our own lives and who can help us discern. So, um, yeah, so so conscience formation and, and following our conscience, it, it does involve discernment. It's Sometimes it's maybe pretty crystal clear without much work, but other times it really it really can take some uh, some labor on our part. How do we how do you think that we can recognize if maybe we we haven't been exposed to something that we think is right, but it turns out to be wrong? I, I, I guess if there's that wrong understanding of morality mm-hmm. and our conscience is still saying to us, that's right. Is there a way to, I guess, prompt ourselves outside of just, well, 
You know, you keep learning, you keep reading, you keep doing research, you 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 do that work that you're talking about. Um, but uh, you know, I mean, we're we're coming up on the March for Life, the National March for Life. There's a lot of rallies for life. I, I've known people who they believe that, you know, abortion is a really good thing. And and you can tell that there's not malicious intent on their part. They're, they're really concerned about the pregnant woman in most instances. You know, this is something that we want to protect the woman. We want to make—so there's this, this kind of warped view of something that the Church regularly talks about as a sin— that's a very kind of blatant example, but there could be other more subtle areas in our own lives where we're maybe not quite aware of what the church teaches or what true morality would dictate in an area. How do we make ourselves more aware of those those places where we might be a little blind to what God's truth is? Yeah, no, that's a great question, Josh. And I know that uh, this same section of the catechism kind of distinguishes between um, an ignorance you know, that may not be fully the fault of the person. There may be a person, for example, who was raised without knowing Christ and the gospel. Maybe they were raised in a family or a neighborhood where they were given a very poor example by others and uh, maybe just surrounded by kind of a culture of evil, as it were. Um, There might be a person who is, you know, passions are kind of enslaved to their passions they may have a mistaken notion of, you know, autonomy of conscience. Um, there, I guess what I'm getting at here is that, um, you know, there may be people whose consciences are not well formed, at least in part, because uh, they weren't given the proper formation and the advantages that maybe many of us have received growing up in a Catholic family and, and in our Catholic schools and churches and so forth. Um, but ultimately, still, you know, I mean, it's a difficult thing because with abortion, you know, you wonder if at the end of the day in the recesses of that man or woman's own soul and conscience, whether there's still something unsettled, you know, that there's some level at which they know that destroying a human life, even seemingly to help a woman or whatever, to relieve a burden, that there just something is, is something wrong about that. And, And maybe because they don't want to face that, and that's an uncomfortable truth, you know, they might be all the more strident in kind of blinding themselves in a way so that they focus only on the seemingly good result. Now, the Church does also recognize, though, that that there can be what they call an invincible ignorance, where even if a person does something morally wrong, they are not, um, the evil isn't really imputed to that person, it's still an evil. It doesn't change the nature of the decision or the act, but but the person's own conscience might be, again, so distorted or so ill-formed that they're not fully responsible uh, themselves. So we're, we're getting into kind of, you know, uh, complicated waters yeah, there. But, yeah. but, but I, I think the main point is just that I, I think, you know, in my own opinion, I think some people who will justify evil things such as abortion, um, they, they may very well know when they're really, if they were to be truly quiet and still and try to uh, listen to that voice, they, they may hear it, and yet they don't want to. And so there's a way in which we can volitionally 
um, drown, drown it out. You know, and I think we all kind of, we all have had that experience in some way, you know, where we do something wrong. We kind of know it's wrong. It bothers us, but we rationalize, we justify. And, um, so yeah, I think that can happen yeah. even. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. There's a couple of things that could be happening there. One would be mm-hmm. that the, the person, um, or ourselves, as you say, you know, all of us have probably done yeah. this in, in, to a certain degree ourselves. If you acknowledge the the thing I did was wrong, instead of trying to rationalize or justify the behavior, then you have to say, okay, I have I have cooperated with evil to whatever extent, and mm-hmm. you know, going back to that idea of somebody who is trying to justify or rationalize abortion, at that point, you know, you'd have to acknowledge I have been supporting. A very grave evil, you know, the the taking right. of innocent human life. So, I, I, that also, you know, we you get into dangerous waters there where you do try and use uh, the idea of following conscience to rationalize or justify a behavior. It goes back to uh, Pope Benedict the Sixteenth, what he so famously called the dictatorship of relativism. You know, that truth mm-hmm. is relative instead of. You know, truth is truth, um, and, right. and you know, there's you can't use your conscience as a way of stepping around that or avoiding it, especially if, as you're you're pointing out, you know, we are going to be very honest with ourselves. Right. Uh, talking with Father Rob Kroll here today on the inner life and talking about the role of our conscience, talking about how we have a well-formed conscience. We're also going to be talking coming up here in a little bit about the importance of doing a regular examination of conscience, but also want to invite you into the conversation. If you have a question about the role of conscience in your life, about following your conscience, you're welcome to call in and speak with Father Rob Kroll. Our phone number, 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. Our email address is innerlife at relevantradio.com. And we'll continue our conversation here shortly on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. This hour is sponsored by St. Gregory Recovery Center, helping you or a loved one live a substance-free life. Information at relevantradio.com gregory. That's relevantradio.com slash Gregory. Welcome back to The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. And the Relevant Radio app, I'm Josh Raymond. And uh, if you joined us late, well, we're talking about the role of our conscience, how we have a well-formed conscience, the importance of doing an examination of conscience, and also inviting you into the conversation today. Maybe you have a question as we speak with Father Rob Kroll, our phone number here into the studio, 888-914-9149. We'd also love to hear how you in your life have worked to ensure that you do have that well-formed conscience, and how has that helped you to grow in the areas where you need to, to avoid sin, to grow in holiness? Uh, What have been some of the ways that you've been able to achieve that and been able to follow your conscience? Our phone number again, 888-914-9149. Also want to remind you, I've mentioned this uh, the last couple of days here, coming up this Friday, it's the National March for Life, and 
this is the first national march for life we're going to have where Roe v. Wade has been overturned. And so a lot of the focus has been on the state, the local rallies and marches, those those pro-life events that will be happening at the local level, a lot of state capitals. So if you are able to participate, please do. If you're not, I would encourage you to participate virtually. And we've been doing this for years here at Relevant Radio, encouraging you to be part of the Fast for Life. You can offer your prayers. You can fast from food or maybe from some other things in your life. Offer up those penances, those mortifications for the protection of the unborn for the sanctity of life to be observed and and held sacred here in our country. And you can find out more if you go to our website, relevantradio.com, or you can look on the Relevant Radio app. You'll see that banner there, and you can click on that, Fast for Life. And you can learn more about what some different possible ways that you can help. And you can let us know what you'll be doing, how you'll be fasting, some of the ways that you'll participate. And we've heard from thousands of people already who are going to be joining us in this. And uh, a lot of people who are just saying, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give up a meal or I'm going to fast from food or I'm only going to drink water that day or, um, you know, so many different things. I'm going to, uh, you know, give up social media for the day. I'm going to give up television for the day. So, uh, again, relevant Radio.com or on the relevant radio app, you can find information there and tell other people about it too. You know, make sure that they're aware of the the prayers that'll be offered coming up here tomorrow as we join together, as we fast, as we pray for the protection of life in our country. Uh, Father Rob, before the break, we were starting to get into that area of forming our conscience. Talked about the importance of following our conscience, having that well-formed conscience where we don't necessarily try and justify or rationalize our behavior, but that we really do ensure that we're following God's leading. Uh, One thing that might be good to talk about is certain areas where it seems like there might be a little bit of liberty, you know, in in our lives. And St. Paul, he talks about this a bit in his letter to the Romans— and this is in the 14th chapter of his letter to the Romans. He writes about the Jewish understanding of what is clean or what is unclean. And he says, uh, this is starting in verse 14, I know and am convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, which would be very different from the Jewish idea. So that's, that's where he starts. But then he says, still, it is unclean for someone who thinks it unclean. If your brother is being hurt by what you eat, your conduct is no longer in accord with love. Do not, because of your food, destroy him for whom Christ died. So we seem to have a little bit of liberty, but at the same time, we want to be cautious that where we have liberty, we are not causing scandal or being a, a you know, causing someone else to think that yep. there is an occasion of sin there. Can you kind of help unpack what Paul is saying for us here? Yeah, I think you're raising a good point, you know, that um, there are certain things that we would say as Catholics are just inherently right or wrong, and uh, they're universal and they're unchanging, and we have to just conform ourselves to those, you know, commandments or to those truths that God has revealed. Um, But then there's uh, sort of an arena where, like you said, it might not be actually wrong or sinful, but we want to take into consideration the circumstances that we're in, the context that we're in, and we may decide, you know, to do something or avoid something more because um, we want to encourage 
uh, others who may be, you know, less well along the path or perhaps um, weaker in some way. And, and so I think, um, you know, in that case, we're really trying to just live the law of love. We want to, you know, one of the ways we, that we love our neighbors, not by engaging in things that even if they're not technically sinful or wrong, they may cause scandal to others who are, again, trying to grow and, and, and still um, moving along that path towards truth. So I think um, there's a sensitivity that you're highlighting there, Josh, and that Paul is, um, you know, getting us to, you know, to kind of realize. Um, and he, he talks about in terms of the context of food, you know, that there were a lot of obviously dietary laws at the time. And and so a follower of Christ would have had a, a certain freedom in that area, not being bound by all those uh, dietary laws. And yet, and even Jesus himself, we're hearing in some of the mass readings this week where, you know, they're plucking grain on the Sabbath or doing certain right. things on the Sabbath. And, uh, you know, it's really upsetting the religious authorities. And so Jesus is saying, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. You know, the Sabbath is made for man, not man for the Sabbath. But at the same time, you know, he, even Jesus would not be just sort of uh, willy-nilly, you know, uh, violating everything just to kind of show how free he is. But, you know, he he recognizes, too, that that people were formed in a certain tradition and there and and so there there may there may need to be a process by which they're kind of brought along and so i think um yeah i think paul is just highlighting the importance of uh of um trying to love our neighbor by not causing scandal you know another thing in here that comes to mind as we're talking is uh, and and i know this as a priest as a confessor um, is that, um, you know, we may lament the fact that many people today have a lax conscience and seem to do lots of things that are wrong without giving it a second thought because their consciences aren't well formed. But within our Catholic Church, I encounter sometimes people who have what I would call a scrupulous conscience or, or an overly delicate conscience where, you know, they feel like they're sinning all the time and they're, and they're kind of really worried about always offending God and, and doing what's wrong. And so one of the roles, you know, that I try to play as a spiritual director and priest and confessor is to help people realize, you know, actually this isn't a sin and, and your conscience is maybe too, too narrow here or too strict. And so, you know, some of our listeners may be struggling with that. And, and I, I suppose on balance, that's probably better than, you know, not having a, a conscience at all, but it, but it can be a real burden yeah. for some you know, followers of Christ, because they, they just feel like, um, yeah, at every at every corner they're they're uh, sinning when they're really not. Well, and we actually just spoke about scrupulosity, dealing with that in our lives uh, just a couple days ago here oh, okay. on the inner life. So I, I, you know, if somebody's listening, if you're listening right now, and you're curious to learn more about that issue of how scrupulosity can. Uh, raise itself in your life, some of the different uh, obstacles, some of the different issues that might come up with that. Uh, that was our show on Tuesday, January 17th. And Nick, you're going to put that up on Twitter. So if you would like to uh, find that, that's another place you can go. And if you'd like to follow me on Twitter, you can do that as well. It's at Inner Life Show. Uh, and that's the Twitter handle, at Inner Life Show, um, on Twitter. So you'll see it there, or you can go to our website, relevantradio.com, or on the Relevant Radio app, you can find the podcast there as well. Uh, Father, before we get into maybe uh, talking about an examination of conscience, which there's plenty to look at there as well, 
Um, one of the things that you brought up in the first segment was the idea that there are certain things that are kind of innately understood in us from a standpoint of our conscience that we don't have to be taught. It's just kind of naturally there for each one of us, but then there might be other things that do have to be taught. And one of the things that comes to mind is, as a child, I know I said it, I've heard it from my kids, I think most children have said this at some point, where something doesn't go their way and they say, well, that's not fair. You know, we recognize fairness and justice from a very, very young point, each one of us. And, you know, but then parents end up saying, and I'm sure I've said this to my kids too, well, yeah, life isn't fair. <laughs> you have to be mm-hmm. able to deal with that. So, you know, we, we have to be able to learn to deal with the injustices and the unfair aspects of life. But on the other hand, having that sense of fairness and justice, it seems to me important that as parents we don't, uh, you know, just completely stomp that down in our kids. We want them to have that sense of justice. Um but not to a point that they can't let it go of disappointment. But I, I bring that up just to say, what are maybe some of the, the more important things for parents to consider mm-hmm. if they're trying to help their children in having a well-formed conscience? You know, what are those areas that maybe don't need to be taught, but then what are the areas that should be taught by a parent? Yeah, no, it's a great question. I think... Um you know, one thing I before I maybe mention some specific things is, you know, by kind of by definition, a child is very egocentric. I mean, a young child is still in the process of kind of realizing that their ego and their inner world isn't sort of controlling and dominating the, yeah, the end everybody all, the else. All. Sure. Right, exactly. And so one of the things, you know, that can happen with children as they move into adolescence is, you know, ideally, uh, an adolescent and a young adult is is now, you know, just much more open to, you know, serving others. I mean, their their life is becoming more about interacting with other people and wanting through empathy and conscience to be able to serve this greater good beyond themselves. Whereas, you know, young children still are very much just kind of naturally focused on themselves. So, so that's where I think parents, especially, have an important role. Um, you know, I think, I think most, even young children, yeah, there is an awareness that, you know, like harming, uh, some other person, you know, beating up a a playmate on the playground or, you know, doing something that's harmful and, and creates harm to another person. I mean, I think they kind of instinctively know that that's wrong. I think something like stealing, you know, taking somebody somebody's property just because they want that toy or something looks good to them, uh, they find money or they see money in a classmate's, you know, pencil case and they want to take it. So I think there are certain things that, you know, they, they probably, they are kind of innate and they kind of know. But I think one area that has to be, you know, encouraged is like in the area of truthfulness and not lying. I mean, you know, we've all, we can all tell stories about lies that we told as kids. And of course, once you tell a lie, you have to tell more lies to cover up those lies. And so it can kind of become a snowball effect. And so I think encouraging truthfulness and explaining, you know, gently, but firmly to children, why the truth is always so important, even, even if it's going to get you some punishment or get you into trouble, you know, there's just a a really important value in, in always telling the truth. And, and so I think, you know, one of the things that kids have to learn is that um, on balance, you know, doing what is right, avoiding what is wrong, 
even if even if it comes with a cost, it's ultimately going to lead to happiness. It's going to lead to full flourishing, and that um, in the short term, whatever we might get away with in terms of bad behavior um, is you know, it's just in the long run, it's going to, it's going to make us unhappy and it's going to harm us even more. So I think that's, you know, one of the roles that both parents and then teachers, you know, hopefully, I mean, especially Catholic school teachers, but even in the public schools, you hope that uh, there are teachers that are uh, forming, helping kids to form their conscience there. Um, You know, one of the things that I think too, um, we, we can remember is that conscience is not just about um, it's, our conscience is not just something that operates when we've done something wrong by causing guilt or a sense of self-alienation. Our conscience is also something that, uh, when used properly, can really inspire noble, good, virtuous action. And and so, you know, there, it has that very positive effect as well. It's not just about alerting us or alarming us to the fact that we've we violated some norm or rule, but but it can just um, help us to to move forward in a very positive way. And 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 I think too to say that conscience, it, it, you know, it can operate. I mean, hopefully it's operating already before we make a moral decision. We're we're trying to inform our conscience as we prepare to make a decision. But even as we're making a decision, and then of course after the fact, of course it's um, something that that can then, yeah, we feel like okay, that was really a good moral decision because it, it leaves a feeling of. Um, of rightness and peace and joy, or uh, no, that disturbance that I'm feeling and that guilt that indicates that really um, I did something wrong. So it's something that can be operative before, during, and after a moral act. You know, it's not just after the fact. Um, Talking with Father Rob Kroll here today on The Inner Life, our phone number 888-914-9149. If you'd like to call in and join the program, 888-914-9149. Father, before we go to our next break, let's talk about doing an examination of conscience. Um, You know, I think the most popular that I've seen, and I've seen different variations on this as well, but, you know, there's a number of different ones out there. Walking through the Ten Commandments, I think that's the one I've seen most often. Um, Do you think that's just a a very solid, good starting point for an examination of conscience, or are there other formats maybe you prefer that you think are as good or even better? Um, well, I, I think I concur with you. I, I think probably the, the most helpful ones that I've seen are ones where they take each of those Ten Commandments and then have a whole host of uh, supportive questions. Because right. sometimes, you know, we kind of forget that, um, you know, each of those commandments has lots of different shades of meaning and, and there's ways of interpreting, I mean, like, thou should not kill. Okay, well, it's not just enough to say, well, I didn't murder anybody today, you know, check. But I can say, well, did I kill somebody, so to speak, with my words or with a, a look or a judgment? So I think, yeah, any any of those, um, and they're very easy to find just by googling them, googling them online. Um, I think any of those Ten Commandment-based uh, examinations of conscience are very helpful because they get quite detailed. But I have seen others that, for example, will take the Beatitudes and use those as a basis for examination. Um, I, I use one sometimes here at the seminary that is uh, that a priest, um, I think he's Australian, he came up with a specific examination of conscience just for seminarians. And that, and that is a, another point we might highlight is um, I've seen, I, I, I don't consult them that much, but there are examination of consciences like for parents or for students. And, and you know, I mentioned the seminarians. So maybe finding one that, that is adapted to your particular life choice or vocation can be helpful because then again, it might have 
Uh, it would have a lot of the same generic things, but it might have a few points that are specific to your situation that you might not have thought of. You know? Yeah, that, that's such a great point. I, I've seen some of those too. You know, I remember seeing one for, uh, you know, teens, and it had questions yeah. that were so specific for their state in life, which, right. you know, it right. didn't necessarily apply to me as, as an adult man married with my own children. But no, that, that's such a great suggestion. Uh, when we come back, Father, let's kind of talk about the process of going through that examination of, of conscience. Again, if you'd like to call in and speak with Father Rob Kroll as we talk about the role of our conscience— forming our conscience, and of course, the examination of conscience that we're going to be talking about and continuing that part of our conversation. That'll continue in just a moment here. Our phone number into the studio, 888-914-9149. Again, 888-914-9149. Back with more here on The Inner Life on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app coming up in just a moment. If you're in the market for health insurance, our sponsor, the Catholic Order of Foresters, is here to help you and your family find the most cost-effective health plan. Learn more at RelevantRadio.com Forester. Thanks for joining us here on The Inner Life. Today on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app, I'm Josh Raymond. And our spiritual director for the hour, Father Rob Kroll, he is a Jesuit priest, the director of spiritual formation at St. Francis de Sales Seminary in Milwaukee. The phone number to call into the studio, 888-914-9149. And just before the break, we were talking about different uh, examinations of conscience that you can go through and you can find if you look online. One that I would highly recommend, you can find it on the Relevant Radio app. And if you just open the app in the upper right corner, you'll see a little icon that says pray. If you tap on that, you'll see a number of different options for different prayers, written prayers, audio prayers. One of those is, is uh, one of those options is a confession helper, and if you click on that, well, then you'll see a lot of different things that can help you to make a good confession, of course. But one of them is an examination of conscience, and it follows one of those uh, Ten Commandment setups that we were talking about just before the break. And so, uh, Father Rob, lots of different options for how we can be guided through an examination of conscience, but what are maybe some of the basic steps that we should consider? Is there something I should do before I begin going through those questions, whether they follow the Ten Commandments or you mentioned the Beatitudes or, you know, whatever the format might be? You know, is there something I should do as far as maybe starting with prayer or something else to consider before going into those questions, and even anything afterwards? Mm-hmm. Well, I think your suggestion of prayer is really important. You know, that be, before jumping into the um, actual examination of conscience itself, that we petition the Holy Spirit for enlightenment, and and we might even take some time just to examine our conscience first. Um, you know, under the light of the Holy Spirit to see what might emerge from our own prayer. And then we can turn to the examination of conscience as kind of a supplemental tool, and that might uh, open up our eyes to something that we hadn't, you know, become aware of. Um, and and I, I realize that, you know, if, if a person goes to confession regularly, by that I mean maybe weekly or um, every two weeks or something, you know, that maybe it might seem a bit laborious to use the same 
examination of conscience each time. Um, but, you know, if it's helpful, great. But, you know, that's where maybe having a variety uh, could be helpful um, just, just to mix things up a little bit. And also, you know, I think for most of us, we recognize that there are probably a set of sins that are kind of our more frequent ones that are more habitual. And so um, it's not like we have to uh, start from scratch or reinvent the wheel each time either. So we might, we might over time note that in a journal or, or somewhere a, a set of sins that, you know, we might automatically kind of go to first because we know that those are the ones that we're more prone to. Um, so those are just some thoughts there. And then, you know, I think, um, yeah, in terms of after the fact, you know, certainly uh, after we're done confessing and we do our penance, you know, we want to thank the Lord for for his mercy and, and for the gift of, you know, conscience again, uh, not to take that for granted. But but I think mo- the examination of conscience itself is most helpful uh, right before we go to confession. Yeah. One of the things that it reminded me of as you were talking about you know, if if we are kind of, you know, very familiar with ourselves, we've done that examination of conscience regularly, and we might be saying, okay, I know the areas where I stumble or struggle or where, you know, that's that's a challenge for me, but I don't really seem to be having challenges in these other areas, and we might kind of gloss over them. Or maybe if we've made good progress in that area that is a difficulty for us, we might say, well, do I really have anything? And I remember a priest, a a pastor at our parish uh, years ago, he's retired now, but he had said, you know, if my my mom said, all right, we're all going to confession, he said, well, I'd I'd say, I don't have anything to confess. And he was, uh, I think, uh, the the fourth or fifth child and had all older sisters. His mom would say, well, go ask your sisters. And basically saying, you know, they'll tell you what you've done wrong. They they know right, where you've right. been messing up in life. Yeah. But but the reason I bring up that story is uh, there is also, you know, the possibility we could have some blind spots in our own lives, not recognize that these are areas, you know, and, and, and I'm not saying that it, it would necessarily be that you're out and out trying to very maliciously do something. It's just you might be kind of oblivious to the fact that you've yeah. done something wrong. And that's where also having one, two, three close friends or family members mm-hmm. that you can go to and ask them, you know, is there any area you see in my life where maybe I, sure. I'm, I'm, you know, whether it's impacting me or impacting relationships with others? That's a really good point. And, it, and it's reminding me now of an ancient custom like in mon- monastic life or religious life. They used to talk about a chapter of faults, you know, where uh, people would go around and and get feedback from their brethren about uh, particular faults, you know, because, yeah, you're right. Sometimes we're blind to them and we're oblivious, but other people see them or maybe are even affected by them. So, you know, that can become an exercise in uncharity, too. Uh, you're right. Um, you have to be cautious. Yes, You have to be cautious. But no, that's just consulting others who we rub shoulders with regularly and asking them, yeah, is there some area? And you can put it positively, not just where have I messed up or sinned, but where do you see that I need to keep growing, you know, and becoming more holier and more virtuous? Yeah, yeah. that's a great suggestion. Um, Being a Jesuit yourself, um, there's the Ignatian spirituality of doing a daily exam. And you talked about that doing the examination of conscience, you know, most appropriate right before confession. Can you kind of explain the difference between doing that daily examine as opposed to an examination of conscience? 
Sure. Yeah. And also for those of us that pray the um, the breviary at night prayer, there's an invitation to pause and do a brief examination of conscience as well. Now that's again more focused on sin, as as is the examination of conscience before confession. With the Ignatian examine or awareness examine, we kind of call it sometimes. Um, the focus is not primarily on looking for sins or for where I violated my conscience, but rather it's looking over the day. It's trying to see where the Holy Spirit was operative and how I cooperated with the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit blessed me, how God blessed me in this day. So it's more focused on gratitude for blessings and God's presence and action. But within that, there is a, a step where we do want to take stock of the fact that maybe today, as I look it over, I do realize that I sinned in some way. And, and then I in, already in the examine itself, I can apologize to God. I can ask for his mercy and then resolve to go to confession if I need to. Um, so it's, it's, it's a exercise or a type of prayer that is focused more on the presence of God in the day and also aware that the, whole, the evil spirit might have been working and how did I maybe um, either rebuke that and, and resist the Holy Spirit's suggestions or did I give into it too much? So, so yeah, so that's a more global um, approach to the day than looking just specifically at our, um, at our sins or moral failings. If somebody wants to learn more about doing that examine, that daily uh, examine, mm-hmm. and looking at their entire life uh, for that day, you know, it, what, where should they turn? What are some good resources? Yeah, I think a great resource is by Father Timothy Gallagher. Um, he has a, a whole book on the examine, and, and he's very good about explaining things clearly, and he uses everyday examples to illustrate his points. So he's a good author to turn to. Um, there's kind of a famous article that goes back to the 1970s by a Father George Ashenbrenner. Father Timothy Gallagher is not a Jesuit. Um, he's a Marist priest, but uh, Father uh, George Ashenbrenner is a Jesuit, and, and he kind of wrote a standard article on the um, on the exam that can be found on the, on the internet. So um, those would be a couple of resources. I mean, if you, if you, if you Google Ignatian exam and you'll come up with, with, I think quite a few good things and, and they're more or less, they follow the same method. I mean, there's little tweaks, but, um, but it's a pretty simple process. It's not meant to be um, rocket science, you know, it's, it's, but yeah, just kind of a simple step-by-step way of, of praying with your day. So. Beautiful. Uh, Father Rob, it's always good to have you on the program. We're down to about 30 seconds for our final sure. blessing here. Okay. Heavenly Father, uh, we're so grateful today that we could talk about the role of conscience. We're grateful for that great gift that you implant in our hearts. Help us to live morally upright and virtuous and holy lives. And may the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit come down upon all of our listeners and remain with them forever. Amen. Amen. Thanks again, Father, and we'll look forward to speaking with you in the near future. And I want to encourage you to join us back here tomorrow on The Inner Life. We're going to talk about the importance of silence. It can be something that seems so elusive in our world. How do we find silence? Why is it important? We'll talk about that coming up tomorrow here on The Inner Life. Of course, this show, if you joined us late, you can find the podcast relevantradio.com or on the Relevant Radio app. And stay with us because Mass starts right now.